We're in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 to us. And uh, Lord willing, those will be the verses we'll cover tonight. We'll see how far we get. Peter goes on to say, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God, and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Now as you know, for those that have been to this study, um, that's awful lot for us to chew on because... I don't like to rush through the Scriptures when we're doing an actual Bible study. So we'll just see how far we get tonight in this passage. Uh, But you see, what's the first word that starts where we're going? Therefore. And whenever you see the word therefore, you want to find out what is therefore. Okay, because it's tying to what has been previously said and where we left off. And where we left off last week, we saw that Peter just reminded them that they were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, and that they had been born again of imperishable seed, the word of God. In other words, the reason you're born again is because God said you are. And if God says it, it's done. It's done. People used to say, that God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Nope. God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, it's settled. Alright? God said it, it's settled. If you have been born again, you have been born again of imperishable seed. Don't let anybody try to talk you into thinking you can lose that salvation. If you're His, you're His. Now, as we have been learning in this study, and you'll see this in this passage, salvation means more than the moment you got saved, though. Remember, salvation has been broken into justification, sanctification, glorification, but the Bible calls all three parts salvation. Today, salvation has come to this house, Zacchaeus, Luke 19.9. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, that coming, we wait for the coming of salvation. Salvation is this whole process of what God has begun and will finish. Those He sanctified, He also glorified, and so on. But we're in this process now of being saved. Are you saved? Yes. Are you being saved? Yes. You're in a process of God accomplishing all that He has in mind. So in this mind, He starts this off by saying, Don't forget, you have been bought with a price. You're not your own. You've been bought with the blood of God. Alright? You've been bought with the blood of God Himself. This is a very high price, okay? Can anybody think of anything higher? 
No, you've been bought with the blood and you have been given new birth with imperishable seed through the Word of God. You're His. There's something different about you now. See, too many Christians are today trying to say, well, I'm just like everybody else. I'm just, you know, I'm just... No, no, you're not. Stop trying to make the world think that you're not much different from them. Folks, you are. You're going to see him say this in this passage if we get that far. You are a new creation. And there's something supernaturally different about you. And the sooner we get there, the better. So, he says, then, therefore, get rid of the things that the old you hung on to. And begin as a new baby would, craving God's Word and His spiritual direction and His truths. So, you see here, he says, get rid of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that you may grow up in what? In your salvation. You're in the process of being saved, remember? Grow up in it. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. So I want to take you to a passage that most of us can quote, but we always start quoting in verse 17. I want you to start in verse 15. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 15. Paul says, for, sorry, And he died for all, meaning Jesus, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so he's saying here that you need to understand that you're a new creation and you should no longer live your life for yourself, but for who? But for Jesus, the one who died for you. Alright? You're now supposed to live for Him. What I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about marriages. And some of you probably have experienced this or maybe wrestle with it still. Uh, When I first got married to Becky and was blessed to do so 21 years ago, I had a tendency to still live like a single man. You see, I was 25 years old when I got married and I had been single for a while. It wasn't my plan, but it was God's. And all the girls that I asked, it was their plan too. But back then, I was 100 pounds lighter than I am now, and I had just come out of playing basketball in college, and people from here to Orlando knew about my basketball ability, and I would get phone calls to go play at all times of the night. Literally, there would be some games where the best players were playing and they would call and say, Jim, there's going to be a game at such and such a gym at such and such a place. They're going to start at 11 o'clock at night. Can you be there? And I used to just jump up and go play. And then I got married. We moved to New Orleans. But not long after we moved to New Orleans, there's some really good basketball in parts of New Orleans. And I had to learn that I was no longer single. I couldn't just jump up in the middle of the night and say, Hey, Beck, I'm going to go play basketball. I'd have to ask. And she didn't always say yes. Most of the time she did. Because at 11 o'clock she was already long gone. 
When we first got married, Becky did her best to try to stay up till 10.30, but she like, shut off. And she's just, so if I stayed at 11 o'clock at night, she usually didn't fuss. But there were other times that it interfered. And I had to learn that I had entered into a new relationship, and I was no longer to live like I was in the old relationship. Do you understand? See, we have a tendency to not really take serious this new relationship we've entered into. I think we've been told that if you just pray this prayer, you're forgiven and you're going to heaven when you die. Praise God. And you know what? That is not even a half of the truth. There's so much more. And Peter is telling them, look, let me explain something to you. You've been bought with a price. You've been made a new creation by the the Word of God. You're not even close to what you were before. Therefore, let go of the stuff you used to hang on to before you entered into this relationship. You're a new creation now and you're no longer to live for yourself. Now folks, like I say, how that plays out in each one of our lives, the Holy Spirit's the one that got to call that. That's part of the problem. You see, in the church today, God may speak to me about something and then I just assume that He's going to tell you the same thing. And don't we spend our time judging each other as to whether or not they're doing, you're doing what God told me to do? There's some people that are very, very convinced that how they dress on a Sunday is important in a certain way. But there are others who, under the leadership of their own Lord, aren't as convinced. And we, I'm saying we, I might not be in that category, to be honest with you, I'm wearing sandals. But those people who have a tendency to think this is how I feel strongly someone should dress, we have a tendency to look down, do we not? On those who might not feel as strongly as we do. But the Bible doesn't say how we're to dress. It does say that a woman is not to dress in such a way that she brings attention to herself at the worship service. But specifically, it doesn't say, it just says that her beauty should come from her inner beauty, not from how she puts herself out, if you will. But the Bible doesn't really say whether or not you're supposed to wear a tie. The Bible doesn't really say whether or not you're supposed to wear a suit or a dress. Some of us have strong opinions on that. But you know what? That's what the Lord may be telling you. It doesn't mean that that's what He's told them. Go ahead. Pink Crocs. Yes, well. I, I wear pink Crocs to move furniture, like I did the other day, and they were five dollars. So I can't be getting So I want you to understand. There are some things though that the Bible says are no nos. Go back to First Peter here, chapter two. Do you see what they are? Malice. Say a will. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, I want to take some time here because we have a tendency to read those. What I want to show you is why those are being used. If you may not know it just by reading it quickly, but every one of those, if that is an issue that you have, it's because of your lack of real faith in God and His power. See, because when we have a tendency to think ill of somebody, it's probably because of lots of reasons, but one of them could be we don't think things are fair. That person's a bad person. And we have malice toward them. Is God not big enough to take care of everybody? The Bible says, God says it's mine to avenge. I'm the judge, not you. If you have slander or deceit, 
hypocrisy, all of those, you can trace them down to, you really don't think God is doing a good job. You feel like you have to lie a little bit to make things work out. Because God's not big enough to take care of you. So a deceit here will help you on your taxes. Or a deceit here will help you get a better price. But ultimately you're saying, God's not big enough to take care of that. That's what the real issue is. You think you have to do something because God's not powerful enough. Hypocrisy? Any idea how that's tied to the same thing? Pretending to be something you're not? Why aren't you willing to just say, you know, this is what it is, and my father's working on me, and by the way, those of you that know me, everything's out in the open. Oh, yes. I've learned. It's easier just to say, this is what it is. This, this is and you, People say, well, how much do you weigh? I'll tell you. People say, how, how old are you? I'll tell you. People say, how much do you make? I'll tell you. I don't care. Because it's easier to just be out in the open than to try and remember all the lies I told. But ultimately, all of these tie back to your true view of God. Is He big enough to take care of you? then He'll take care of that person that you normally would have been upset with. You don't have to slander somebody to get something taken care of in the way you think it needs to be dealt with. You don't have to be hypocritical. You don't have to uh, have used deceit. You know what? You've got a big, awesome God. And if He's taking care of your eternity, I think He can take care of all this as well. But we have to be reminded, because we're still in these daily fleshly bodies that are pulling away from God, and until we get free of them, we're going to the things we want to do, we don't. The things we don't want to do, we will. And all that, like Paul wrestled with. Paul said, What you need to do then, I mean, not Paul, Peter says, What you need to do then is crave God's word. Why? That you may grow up in this salvation. In other words, if you struggle with some of the things that I just talked about, and we all do, the only way you're going to really begin to move past that is to allow the word of God to begin to take root in your heart. And when it takes root in your heart, those things begin to take shape and changes begin to be made. Oh, and by the way, it's not my job to decide whether or not you're supposed to be there by now. That's your Lord's. And so that's what I like about us getting together on Tuesdays. You know, we don't we can't sit around and talk about our church. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Exactly. All of those things that we just we're, we're praying for, it's happening right now in this situation. Slander, deceit, malice. Yep, you got it. We might have to send you up there straight now. <laughs> yeah. uh, remember I told you I was dealing with him in North Carolina? I went and preached in his church in North Carolina. They fired him right afterwards for bringing me in. So... <laughs> He, he jokingly, I jokingly told him when I talked to him on the phone, I said, if you get fired tonight, this time I didn't do it. He said, he laughed and he said, my wife said the same thing a week ago. So, here's the thing I want you to hear though. Trust, first of all, understand that you're a new creation. And now trust that the big God who has done all that he's done to bring you to himself is able to work these other things out. Rest in this part of your salvation just as you've learned to rest in the justification. Rest in the sanctification. Remember, may God Himself, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, may God Himself, the God of all peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, soul, and spirit be kept blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus, the one who calls you is faithful and what? He'll do it. He will do it. 
relax. God's got it. He may not work on your timetable or mine, but He's got a plan and He'll work it out. Alright, let's move on to the next verses here. Hopefully you've tasted that the Lord is good. We sometimes don't think He's good. That's why we have a tendency to worry when things look bad. Verses 4 and 5, he says, As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering, a, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Not only are you now in a, in a marriage, if you will, to Jesus, but you're also being built into a spiritual house with a whole lot of other believers. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 19 through 22. Now in this passage, let me set the stage for you. Paul is uh, talking to Gentile Christians. And he's just talked about how God is making a new man by bringing the Jew and the Gentile together to build his church. And he says, verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Remember, Peter says we are aliens in the world. We're foreigners in the world. But he's talking about the relationship between Jew and Gentile. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too, again we see it, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Now we've just talked about how once we became born again through imperishable seed, through the Word of God, we had entered into a relationship individually with the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's begun a good work in us. But don't think that your relationship to God through Jesus is a personal thing. He just said here in two places, it's more than just a personal thing. It's an interpersonal thing. You're not only entered into a marriage relationship with Jesus Christ, but you are also collectively called the bride of Christ. And you are being built together with other believers. Folks... You're just going to have to just get used to it. Some of the people in the church today that you don't like are going to be in heaven for eternity with you. You better learn how to relax and accept the fact that the God who would have the guts to save you would save them too. The God that would have the nerve to save them saves you too. And so relax about the folks around you. If you can, it is pride. It's because you think you're better. Let me use this illustration. Those of you that have more than one child, or even just one, did your kids always know the right thing to do? Did they always make the right choices? Did they have it figured out in their process of growing up? They thought so. They thought so, right. And this is what I'm getting at. But you loved them anyway. Why? Because you were related, you were family, and you watched them and loved them in their process of coming to maturity. Just because a few of you in here have gray hair and others of you hide it with dye, and others of you just don't even comb your hair anymore, do. That's right. Some of you have to because your husband make you. At the same time, 
Just because we have signs of what we would call maturity or age doesn't mean that you're any different from those children, folks. Remember, he was talking to older people probably when he said, as babies, crave pure spiritual milk. As we look around the room and as we deal with people in our local churches, keep in mind, they're being saved too. And they don't got it all figured out, even though they may think they do. Your age just tells us how long you've been on the road. It doesn't tell us how far you've traveled. Let me say that again. Your age only tells us how long you've been on the road. It doesn't tell you how long you've traveled. And so we need to become people who take our eyes off a man and put them back on God, but we don't lose sight of the fact that we are being built into a spiritual house with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And God is doing something bigger than just saving you. He is doing something for His glory by not only saving us, but putting us together as a body called the bride. What's His purpose? I'll be honest with you, we really don't know except what Ephesians 3.10 says. We're in Ephesians 2. Jump to chapter 3, look at verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Who is God using the church to demonstrate His glory to? Angels and demons. How about that? You ever thought about that? You know, we always think about Matthew 5 where it says, Do your good deeds before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven. And we think we're supposed to be living our lives here on the earth so people would know who God is. And yes, that's true. But the Bible says that His intent that was now through the church, who God really is, would be manifest to the angels and the demons. Didn't Peter say that this salvation, angels long to look into what we have? Folks, you're on a much bigger stage. And I don't even know fully what God's trying to display about His glory to the angels and the demons. But I think I got a small hint of what a part of it might be. You see, when God created the world, the Bible says the angels already existed at that point. They're created beings, keep in mind. Angels are created beings. But the Bible says in the book of Job that when God questioned Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth and the, and the angels celebrated? That shows that the angels existed prior to the creation of the world. Therefore, the angels created beings were there. And as we know, at some point, there was a rebellion in heaven. And Satan and some of his followers, if you will, other angels, decided they didn't like the lot in life that God gave them. You see, if you look at Scripture, we don't fully understand it, but there are levels of authority in angels. If you do a study of angels, you'll see there are archangels and different types of angels, and some angels have this responsibility and some have that, and there are some angels who have been waiting until that certain point at the book of Revelation when they are releasing the four winds of the earth and destruction to come. We know that all the angels don't have the same level of authority or responsibility. Satan, who had high, high levels of responsibility and authority, decided he didn't like the position God gave him. He wasn't satisfied with his quote-unquote lot in life. And he decided, I want to be God. And he was removed and cast down to earth. Now, he still is able to go back and forth between here and there. The Bible says he accuses us daily. 
But God allowed Satan to inflict and infect us with that same attitude. Let's be honest. Every one of us has had a time or two in which you have not been happy with your lot in life. Correct? Did you ever wish you had a better job? Haven't you ever wished you could have lived on that side of the tracks? Haven't you ever wished that so-and-so would have married you instead of your brother? There's tons of ways that we wish that we had been given a different lot in life. But the Bible says that God is going to take for Himself a bride. And they're to have an attitude that says, I no longer live for myself. I live for the one who died for me. And whatever He chooses for me is best. In other words, I think God is so awesome that if He chooses me to live in this manner, that's what He's chosen and I trust Him. What Satan could not do. The Bible says that in some way He's going to use the church to display His awesomeness through a group of people who are willing to say, I know the rest of the world thinks it's about them and is fighting for their position or their piece of the pie. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. I don't know what God's doing and I don't have to know because I have tasted that the Lord is good and I'll follow Him no matter what. Oh, by the way, that goes against some of the preaching in many of our churches today. Have you not noticed that? See, because we've turned the world's philosophy and tried to Christianize it. Make you healthy and wealthy and it's all about you. Folks, I want to challenge you to believe that God is big and awesome and good and let go of malice and deceit and slander and hypocrisy and just say, it is what it is and I'm going to walk through it with Him and I'll ask Him for stuff, but if He says no, that's okay too because I know my Father's for me and, he's not, and if He's for me, who can be against me? And we're, by the time this road is done, hopefully He'll have used me to show an angel or a demon who He really is. Oh, the Bible says if you're willing to let Him do that in your life, for eternity, He will glorify you alongside of Jesus Christ. That baffles the mind. Well, you say, everybody's going to... Well, no, we just assume everybody's going to be glorified in that manner, but not really. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. verse 11. Here's a trustworthy saying. By the way, does that mean the rest of the Bible is not trustworthy? If the Bible says, here's a trustworthy saying, why is it saying that when every word in here is trustworthy? It's wanting us to pay close attention to what's being said here. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Go to Romans chapter 8. There's a lot of people who don't want to endure. In Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 17. In the passage it talks about how we're going to share in His glory. 
Look at what it says that we skip over. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Did you see that? You, I don't know if you noticed or not, but there's going to be levels of reward and glory in heaven for those who are His children. If you've been given new birth through the Word of God, you have been given new birth through imperishable seed, you're going to be in heaven. But the Bible says that there's going to be levels of glory and levels of reward. How that works out, I don't know. I don't even worry about it. But I do know that the Bible says for those who are willing to let God use them for His purposes, and they're willing to accept what He does because they trust Him, there will be glory if they're willing to share in His sufferings. Your attitude should be this, that as Jesus Christ, who did not think that equality with God was something to be grasped, but He what? He humbled Himself and took the form of a servant and was willing to be crucified on a cross. Folks, let me just challenge you in this day and age of saying it's all about you. Let go of what you used to be, what you thought you needed to make yourself better, and say, Lord... I trust you. Now you tell me to ask. You tell me to seek you. You tell me to, that you know what I want before I even ask and that I don't get because I don't ask sometimes. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't tell God what you'd like. But ultimately your attitude says you're good. And if you say no, that is the best answer. I trust you. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. For the sake of time, I'm not going to turn there. Let me give you a couple of passages. Actually, I'm just going to skip one. We'll jump to the other. Um, if you were to write down 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26, you'll, talk, you'll see there how in this house that we're being built into, this spiritual house with Jesus as the foundation and the chief cornerstone, um, we've been all given different gifts. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to kind of detour into a study of the gifts and all that. But the Bible says that we have all been given different gifts. And if we use the gifts we've been given, the way it all fits together is a wonderful picture. And 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12-26 talks about that a little bit. Let me just say, yesterday, uh, when uh, we moved some of my parents' furniture from the house to the new place and their assisted living that they're moving to, it was awesome to see the church be the church. And people use their gifts. As a group of people from different churches all showed up at my parents' house with... Dude, how many? We got one, two, three, five different trucks and and a trailer and a car and one truck went to Sam's to buy the bed and another truck went here to carry that and do you realize we moved my parents from their house starting at eight thirty in the morning and we were done at eleven and that includes buying the bed and having it set up. Go God is right. You know what it was? It was everybody using their gifts and everybody doing what it is that they're called to do and gifted to do. And I was planning on buying everybody lunch. And praise God, they were done by 11. So it was awesome. But at the same time, what was amazing to me was to just watch how it looked like a bunch of ants. It was smooth. It was easy. And... Just a preacher didn't have to do too much. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm serious. The old me, the old me would have tried to carry everything, and I, I did have to put a bed together. Yeah, I had to fix uh, Chris's putting the bed together, and then we put it together so it would work. And uh, uh, but, 
He, what was funny was he handed me a part today at Men in Motion, so there's a piece still missing. But, uh, but you know what? It was fun. It was fun. Let me just challenge you with this. Stop doing something because if you don't do it, it won't get done. Only do what it is you believe God's called you to do. Now, don't hear me wrong. There are times when an emergency will show up and God may want you to do that. But I'm talking about the difference between emergency filling in a need and signing yourself up on a regular schedule to fill that, meet that need. There's a big difference. I wish I had learned what just a preacher meant years ago when I was a pastor. Because I tried to be everything to everybody. And it hurt me, and it hurt my relationship with the Lord, it hurt my family. But now I understand what God will do through someone who understands, Jim, I just called you to be this piece of the body. I didn't expect you to be all pieces of the body. And that leads now to the passage of Scripture I don't want to skip over. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. I told you to turn to 1 Peter, but I just did that so you'd make sure you knew where it still was. Alright, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 11 through 16. I'm not going to take too much time here, but this is one of my most favorite and passionate parts of the Scriptures. It was He, God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now let me just stop there. Some of you have a King James translation in front of you. And if you have a King James translation in front of you, it reads this way. It was He who God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, comma, or perfecting the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the edification of the body. Correct? Now listen closely to how that words in the King James. And this is, I'm, gonna, I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to stick with me. Because there has been a misunderstanding of the role of the pastor in our churches for many, many years. And it's because of the King James translation. Please don't hear me bash the King James. I think it's a fine translation. But when we had the original languages, if you will, or the original copies, uh, they didn't. the Greek and the Hebrew don't have punctuation. So the translators have to understand Greek structure and Hebrew structure to try to guess where a comma might be or where a period would be and so on. And there's ways you can know that. But the translators put a comma in the, new, sorry, in the King James translation in this passage that should not be there. And actually, every other English translation, including the New King James, has taken a comma out, which it should be removed, and it totally changes the whole meaning of that passage. Listen closely to how it words again in the King James. It was He, God, who gave some to be this, and some to be that, and some to be this, for the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the edification of the body. With the comma there between perfecting of the saints, comma, and for the work of the ministry, whose job is the work of the ministry? The pastors, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, teachers. Every other translation has taken the comma between perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. They've taken that comma out. Well, if you must have a new King James. Do you have a new King James? Because in the actual original King James, it has a comma. U.S. has the comma. Listen closely now how it works without the comma. It was He God who gave us these four different types of men for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Whose job now is the work of the ministry? 
The saints. Do you see how that comma changes the whole sentence? Folks, the only English translation we had for the longest time in our churches was the King James. You can't beat up the Christians because in the way the comma was put there, that was the pastor's job. But we've come to realize something wasn't working. And over the years we've watched as people expected the pastor to do the work of the ministry and their families suffered and the church suffered and pastors would end up in temptation, giving in to temptation and sin or dropping out of the ministry or committing suicide or ending up in divorce and all this mess because they were trying to be everything when God never intended them to be everything. Their job is to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. But now in our churches, if someone's sick, who do we call? Pastor. Someone need to be saved. Who do we call? The pastor. If someone, the work of the ministry needs to be done, who do we call? The pastor. But it was God who gave us these men to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If I were to ask you whose job is it to build the church up, you'd say the pastors. But keep reading in the context here. Listen closely. It was God who gave us these different types of men to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in to Him who is the head, that is Christ. Now we see that He's not only the foundation stone, He's also the head. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and what? Builds itself up. Some of your translations say edifies itself in love as each part does its work. You see, our churches are full of people that thought that that was the pastor's job. They sit there and they get fed, supposedly, and they judge whether or not he's doing a good enough job feeding them. But they never really get involved in the work of the ministry. They don't really talk to people about Jesus, or they don't actually get involved in visiting people in the hospitals and all these things that we expect the pastor to do. And the Bible says that it's when you get involved using the gifts that God has given you in a body together that you begin to attain to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. You begin to really experience who it is that He is. And you get to see Him do in and through you what we normally just expected the God to do through the pastors. And let me just tell you, when you, as I have learned, do what it is that God's gifted you to do, it's joy and it's fun. It's not a burden. There's no burnout. There's no such thing as burnout when you're doing what it is He's gifted you to do because He's doing it through you. But our church is running around. Well, someone's going to do it. And I say to you tonight... Is your God big enough to take care of it? Well, if I quit right now, Jim, like you're suggesting, it could fall flat. How big is your God? First of all, so what? Second of all, who knows that God may not do something even better when you finally get out of the way. All this ties back to our view of God. You're going to say something there, Jim. Just that we see that when you take things out of context, by your reading that entire portion, we then could absolutely see that it's the body, it's the, it's the as each person does his part. But when you take that out of context, even yep. without commas, people would see it that way. Well, that's why it's my job in the role that God has given me in the body to equip you by teaching you the Word. All of it. You just hear what I'm saying? Preachers are supposed to be spending all of their time did you hear me? 
all of their time in prayer and study and proclamation of the Word. They are to be feeding on it all the time and then teaching it to people so that they would know it and then the body goes and visits in the hospitals. The body goes and leads to tell people about Jesus. The body goes and does the work of the ministry. The body goes and helps people move their furniture. How many times have I heard, and it kills me, people getting mad because they had a church work day and the pastor wasn't here. That makes the work go smoother. It does make the work go smoother. Yeah. Let me just tell you. It was the same in the early church, though. It was the same in the early church. They had it. In Acts 6, the, the disputer rose and they quickly went and told the pastors, hey guys, you got a problem. The apostles, they said, ah, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect what God has called us to do to wait on tables. Boy, I'm telling you, if I had in my years of being a pastor and said, I ain't doing that, I ain't waiting on tables, that's not my job, I'd have been fired. Go ahead. You know why? I don't have any committee meetings to go to. <laughs> I mean, you know, but we're all praying to have the pastor that has the love for the word that you have. Well, what is it? He's bound to Let me, all the ministries. I can almost tell you right now, if he is a pastor, he has a love for the word already. The problem is, is everybody's expecting him to be at deacons meeting, expecting him to be at nominating committee meeting, expecting him to be at the finance committee meeting. They're expecting him to oversee the church. And I'm telling you right now, that was never God's intention. The church will do better when the people God's called are doing it, not the people the nominating committee volunteered. I'm talking, every church I've ever been in, I removed the nominating committee. A lot of people didn't like it, but it worked against God's design of he's the one who's chosen whom. David says, I want to build you a temple. God says, you're not the one I chose. Peter stood up and said, we've got to replace Judas. Lord, show us who you've chosen to replace him. When God told Moses to build the tabernacle, he said, oh, and by the way, listen closely. I've chosen Bezalel and Aholiab to be the ones who do the building of this and this and this. All the way through Scripture, God's already chosen who's to do what part. Get rid of the nominating committee. They're sitting around going through the church directory saying, we need someone to fill a hole. Would you do it? We need someone to fill a hole. Will you do it? Why don't you let the ministries in their areas pray about whom God has laid on their heart and look for the one God chose. And oh, by the way, let me say this and I'll get to you, Allison. And by the way, I told you you hit my passion part of the scripture here. Um, If for some reason nobody feels called, maybe that brook's dried up. Maybe it's a ministry that God is not wanting to do in that local church right now. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we're trying to be everything to everybody. What if God says, I don't want you to focus on that right now. I want you to focus on this area. We'll never know if we're filling it with volunteers. Yes, ma'am. And if you're not called to that place, if you step down the person God has called and wants to bless in that place, in that way, can step up. Can step up. You got it. Happily. One of the ways you'll know, by the way, folks, that you are working in ministry and it's not God's area for you is you are weary. You are weary. Oh, and by the way, how did I come to realize this? Years ago when I was at First Baptist in the Atlantic and I came home on a regular night like I normally did, my wife and kids in bed, I sat down in my living room, looked out at my swimming pool and thought, I want to go lay down in the deep end of the pool. I wasn't suicidal, but I was tired. And I just wanted to go lay in the bottom and take a deep breath. And God said, Jimmy, you tired? I said, Lord, I'm tired. He said, you burn out? Oh, I'm burn out. He said, does the Holy Spirit ever run out? He said, Lord, you promised rivers of living water. He said, I never thirst again. He said, then how do you burn out? 
Are you running on your own strength? And then this is what he said very clearly to me. He said, you have come into every church that you've pastored and rebuilt everything from the ground up scripturally. You said to people, stop doing it the way it's always been done. What does the scripture say? And let's go from there. And he said, you have done that in every area of the church except what you do. You're just as guilty. You're pastoring the way it's always been done. And he began to teach me as I looked at the scriptures, what is my role? Oh, and by the way, if you're in a local church, and I hope you are, don't just pray for your pastor to become this or whatever. Remember, some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastor teachers. They're all different types of men God uses, and we call them pastor. Don't expect one man to be all that. We have a tendency to, and I feel like I'm supposed to go here, so I'm just going to wrap our study up tonight by just doing this. We have a tendency to look at one man and expect him to be all four. You say, Jim, there's five here. Actually, in the Greek, pastor teachers kind of combined. So he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. What we have a tendency to do is when we look for a pastor, we take a survey of the congregation. Don't we? What would you like the new pastor to be? And someone says, I think he needs to be a powerful preacher of the Word of God. So we say, okay, we're looking for a powerful preacher of the Word of God. Someone else says, well, shouldn't he be able to teach? The Bible says he should be able to teach. Oh yeah, we want a man who's a preacher and a teacher. Well, he's got to have the gift of administration. I mean, he's going to oversee things and kind of look after stuff. Oh yeah, we need him with a gift of administration too. And Oh, don't you think he should also be a counselor and the ability to counsel people? Well, he's got to have a shepherd's heart too. We'd like a man with a shepherd's heart. And we take a survey of the congregation of what we all would like him to be and we put together this survey or, or this pastor profile that is impossible, by the way, for one man. But don't, don't get too mad at yourself. It's our fault as pastors. We show up at the interview, we read that pastor profile, and we say, I'm your guy, you know? And they say, well, good, because the last bum sure wasn't. Tell me if this doesn't happen in your churches. You might have a prophet, and he's a powerful preacher of the Word of God. And you'll hear after a while, you'll hear this. Man, I love brother so-and-so. I've never learned more than I've learned when he's preached the Word of God. I have never understood the Scripture more than he does. I love to hear him. But you know what? He's not very approachable. He doesn't visit enough. You ever heard that? And then after a while, you'll make him uncomfortable. And he'll go. And you watch. 98% of the time, and I'm shooting low, they'll bring in somebody with the gifts the previous guy didn't have. Now, he'll look good for about a year, year and a half, because he's trying to be all things to all people, but in a little while, you hear this, I love brother so-and-so. He was there when mama died, and he's a wonderful person, and he's just very compassionate, and he listens so well, and I'm just not getting fed. Don't Don't we do that? Don't we do that? So let me just tell you, don't just pray for your local pastor. You start being an infection for good. And say, Lord, show us. Is he an apostle? Is he a prophet? Is he an evangelist? Is he a pastor teacher? By the way, if you've got an evangelist who's your pastor, you're going to see lots of people come to know the Lord. But then you're going to hear, I think the pastor cared more about me when I was lost. Duh. <laughs> Let me just tell you. This applies not only to you, it applies to those He's called to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. We all need to be finding out what it is that God has called us to do, how He's gifted us. What's your passion? I ask you the question I ask pastors all over the country. If you got to design what you did in ministry... Now, I'm telling you, don't let the church determine what that is. Think outside the box. If you could design what you did in ministry, what would it be? 
If you got to pick how you serve the Lord, what would it be? And I'm telling you, when you come to that answer, you'll begin to know what it is He's put inside of you. And he'll, that's where He's working you towards. That means it's going to happen tomorrow. David was told, you're going to be the next king of Israel. God put that in his heart. didn't happen right away, but He shaped him for that time. When I left the pastor to go into this ministry of doing what I'm doing, a lady ran up to my wife and said, when did you know this? And Becky's answer was awesome. She said, I knew when I married him. It just took some years until God said, now. It doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow for you, but let me just tell you, you want the joy and the peace that we've been studying about here, this ever-increasing joy? Stop letting the church determine what your job description is. And say, Lord, how do I, listen, how do I fit into the body? Because the gifts are for the edification of the body. This isn't just a personal relationship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've entered into a new relationship with Him and you've been married to Christ. But you're also being built into a spiritual house. I want to show you one last thing back in 1 Peter that I didn't see until yesterday when I was reading one of Vance Havner's old sermons. Look at verses 7 and 8. And we'll stop there. It says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. Talking about Jesus. But to those who do not believe, and then he quotes from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. Listen to what it says. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Who rejected the stone? You know, keep looking. More than just the Jews. Who? What does the scripture say here? The builders. It says the stone the builders rejected. By the way, um, who would know in our mind what the right stone would be? Would it not be the builder? Wouldn't it be the professional? The professionals. The skilled craftsmen. Missed it. Why? Because they had already in their mind what He was going to look like. The Jews, yes, but the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the professional ministers. Why? Because they had it already figured out how it was all supposed to be. Let me tell you something that will show you whether or not that it, the one that is equipping you is really mature enough to be an equipper. Does he think he has it all figured out? Is he able to say, I don't know? That's one thing I love about your Sunday school teacher, Tony Kessinger. Tony, when people are wrestling over a certain area and they think they all get the answer, he'll say, uh uh-uh, I got the right answer. And I'll say, Tony, you don't have the right answer. No one has the right answer. He says, no, I do have the right answer. I said, what's that? He says, I don't know. That's the right answer. The builders, the professionals... The skilled craftsmen missed it because they thought they already knew. Let me just tell you, that'll make it easier in this whole journey, make it easier with each other as we all figure out who He is together in different stages. We get in trouble when sometimes we think we got God figured out and we're upset that you don't see Him like we see Him. I can look you in the eye and tell you the older I get, the less I know about God. Oh, I'm learning a lot about Him. 
In one sense, I know more about God than I did before. But as I learned more about God, I came to realize His greatness started to increase exponentially, and I know less in comparison about who He is now than I ever did. But what I do know now, I know more intimately. I want what I have for you. I am right now living the life God has called me to and has set me apart for. And I love it. I want that for you, my brothers and my sisters. But you're going to have to let God show you how you fit into the body. And when you do, stay there. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Oh, and the neat thing is, it doesn't mean your local church. It'll, it'll affect your local church. It'll help your local church. But God's doing something bigger than just your local church, is He not? Yes. Let me pray for us. Father, I feel like you want to just stop here. There's a lot more you want to deal with, and we'll just get to it next week. And we thank you for the fact that uh, you're the one who gives us the ability to digest this. Lord, may we not just close our Bibles and pat ourselves on the back and check a mark and say we had Bible study. Father, may we meditate. May we take what it is You're saying to us and think about it. And allow Your Spirit to roll it over in our minds. Father, maybe tonight some of us, You just want us to take that little phrase, the stone the builders rejected, and speak to our hearts. Maybe about something in our life that You're doing that we don't understand and we aren't willing to accept it because it doesn't match up with how we thought You would do it. But Lord, if we're missing something, may you take us to places in the Scripture that confirm that you might do it the way we don't understand. Father, I just pray for the pastors. Those are the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastor teachers in this area and all around. You know my heart for them. I pray for those that are coming this weekend in in Lake City. Father, may we all, I pray for myself too, Remove or have you remove our fear of man and just fill it with our fear of you. May we care less about what man thinks and more about what you think. Lord, may it not make us cold or unfeeling. May this not make us brash and abrasive. But it, may it just keep a holy understanding of the fact that you're the one who bought us with a price. Not that group of people that voted to call us to a place. But that we are following you. And Father, I pray right now as we wrap up for William one last time, that those involved in this journey would understand that you called William to the ministry, not them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.